Candice Milano and Melissa Rombron make up the Milano Rombron team over at Corcoran. They're real estate agents I know and truly respect, and they were awesome enough to come and sit down and talk to me uh, for a couple minutes about all things real estate. So this conversation focuses on a couple of things. One, on where you should buy if you're looking to buy. Again, not my endorsement, but I've been truly obsessed with asking real estate agents and brokers this because the answers that I've been getting in the past six months really almost without fail are outside of Manhattan. So Melissa believes that Long Island City and Astoria have a tremendous amount of value. And Candace is looking more uh, in the inner parts of Brooklyn, Bushwick and Bed-Stuy um, for, for a place if this is actually your first time uh, purchase. We also discuss everything from 421A tax abatements, and I promise you those are uh, more interesting than they sound, mortgage contingency clauses, and what separates them. And in a non-cliche way, I truly want to understand how agents separate themselves from the pack, given that there is about 44 million agents right now in New York City. So um, a pretty short, uh, direct, I think, valuable conversation I had with them. Uh, they were great enough to, to come and spend some time with me. And I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. How are you? Doing great. great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having us. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things in real estate, um, everything from where to buy to what a mortgage contingency is. But before we get into that, I want to know your stories. So there's about, I think, officially four and a half billion real estate brokers in New York City. <laughs> yeah. um, to be exact. Yeah, honestly. And each of them have a story behind why they went into the field itself. I'd love to know um, what got you guys into the field. And if you can... We'll get into this, but I want you to knock down preconceived sort of misconceptions that people have when they watch TV shows and they see um, unnamed brokers going in, showing two apartments and making $4 million. That happens to us almost every day. So <laughs> we're familiar. <laughs> Melissa, you could go first. Well, I started real estate because um, about five years ago, I went through the process of buying my first home. And... Having gone through that process, I realized that there is such a need for a streamlined um, process for buyers and education is very important. And because of that, I got into real estate and I started in Queens, but I found that I was more interested in new developments. And as such, I joined a top team at Corcoran where I met Candice, my better half. And I really learned a lot about the process for about two years there. And after that, I branched off and Candice and I formed our own team at Corcoran, the Milano Rambaran team, and we've been specializing in new development. And we, ha our mission statement is really to um, not only streamline the process, but also to provide value for our clients, and that's very important for us. And um, we also specialize in luxury resale, but new development is where our passion is. Yeah, and for me, I got into the business just because I was interested in it from a more investment point of view. Um, I was interested in you know, acquiring investment properties, and in doing so, I was advised to get my license so that I could learn the business better and then effectively make a better investment decision. So I got my license, and right away, it, it completely clicked with real estate and really enjoyed the brokerage side. So I try to help now clients just approach real estate from an investment point of view, just given that for most people, this is their greatest asset and it should be managed accordingly as an asset. 
All right, talk to me about the misconceptions, right? So what is it like on a daily basis? Are you just hustling? Are you going through separate things? Like people see, again, because real estate's become so popular and as an asset class has grown like crazy, people just see the good sides of it. So is there hustle involved in it? Like talk to me about a particular type of day that you have. Yeah, it's all about the hustle for us. We, you know, the... The perception is that deals happen very quickly, but really what is behind that is a lot of hard work. Um, I think that people see opportunity and we really see opportunities disguised as hard work. And so that's really been the basis of a lot of our success in the business is just diligence and hard work. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and building our, our network as well. Um, we have done so by strategically partnering up with other professionals in the industry and we've kind of um, founded the wired approach which we kind of do a transaction from beginning to end and we understand that the transaction for us doesn't end at the closing table all of our clients they need more help and again it goes back to value so we have uh, form an affiliate program um, where we have a lot of professionals from movers to stagers to designers and we provide that for our clients and clients appreciate that, right? Like, so for instance, there is a one-off. You can think about it. We always talk about this in terms of a transaction versus a relationship. Mm-hmm. So, do you see clients that want that more, essentially like handholding from start to finish, and then just you guys being able to coordinate everything that comes into it? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. the The desire and the profile of the current buyer has changed a lot in that it's very relationship focused. In that, when you're working with an expert to help you find your home, it's very personal, and you want to have that trust built, and you want to work with somebody that you know fully understands the process and can take you through it from beginning to end. And we've really gotten great response to clients who have you know been a part of the you know moving in, moving on part of how we help and. And, and that we stay with them past the transaction and that we're there always as a resource and that we've built a curated, a curated list of um, other experts that can help them, you know, pass the transaction. Okay. Um, I want to get into particular types of buyers and particular types of transactions. Uh, we talk all the time um, about where to buy. And so if you ask a thousand different people, you're getting a thousand different responses, but I trust you guys. And, and I want to hear your take. So for a buyer who is about, let's say save 10% or so, uh, of the purchase price that they needed, give me affordable emerging neighborhoods because every time you go on street easy, every time you look online, you're seeing things that are 1.5 million, 2 million, etc. There's some normal humans that don't have that <laughs> amount of money. Um, so some affordable options in affordable neighborhoods. Talk to me. Yeah, so if you're a buyer who has saved about 10% for a down payment right off the bat, you're going to be looking at a condo just given that co-ops require a more significant down payment of generally 25% or more. So again, this is going to be your largest investment and we help clients identify these opportunities that will maximize their return on investment. So some of the opportunities are generally found in emerging neighborhoods. Um, some of the neighborhoods that are on our radar are that have this greater upside of potential price appreciation are parts of the Lower East Side, parts of the East Village, China Chinatown, as well as in the upper part of Manhattan, um, Harlem, Morningside Heights, and Washington Heights have some value-packed areas as well for buyers. When it comes to Brooklyn, inflation has hit real estate especially hard there. Uh, The average price of a studio across Brooklyn is now $510,000, which is 
is comparative to a Manhattan price. But what's interesting is that this number has risen 13% since 2016, whereas when you look at the price of a studio in 2016 versus now is only in Manhattan, has only risen 1%. So it just goes back to when you invest in the right neighborhood, you really can um, get that higher price appreciation. And then with that in mind, so some of the Brooklyn neighborhoods that deserve buyers' attention is Bedford-Stuyvesant, Clinton Hills, Bushwick, and Flatbush. Also, um, Queens is another area yeah. that you can find value. For example, Long Island City has become very popular. It's just really 10 minutes away from Manhattan. It's just right over the bridge. And Candace and I, we you know, we just sold out a building in about three months over there because the one bedroom, they started around $800,000, which you can't really find that in Manhattan anymore. You cannot. Right? And also, Astoria is another great neighborhood. It's just north of Long Island City. And we, have a, we see a lot of new developments going up there. And it's such a cultured community. And really, a lot of people are looking for that. And again, that's only about 20 minutes from Manhattan. So that's also a good opportunity there. Have you guys seen, um, so just from a personal standpoint, I've been looking as well, and I promised myself I would never move to Queens. It's really <laughs> like a thing that I told myself as a kid. It just, it, I never understood the 163rd Street and Avenue and Road being one next to the other. It was <laughs> yeah. horrible. Um, but in looking at the inventory that's there, it's incredibly more affordable. So mm-hmm. talk to me about your clients and like, are they open to moving to these places that maybe they wouldn't have considered before. And maybe you can expand on what you mean in terms of a community and Mm -hmm. sort of a different feel. Well, a lot of people are looking, like Candice was saying, a lot of our clients, we're trying to educate them on also just emerging neighborhoods, but looking at it as an investment, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are buying properties now with, and they're getting savvy, right? Mm -hmm. And about two thirds of their, 80% of Americans, they have, you know, real estate is their greatest asset. So um, people are also looking for a lifestyle, Right? right, properties are just there. People are always going to buy a property, but also people are looking to to really live in the community, the neighborhood, and we've seen the trend really right now. And Candace and I, we really kind of stress that, and we sell around the property because everyone knows it's a typical layout in new right. developments. Right, you're coming, you're buying the same finishes, you're seeing it everywhere. But what's important for people is that they want to live in a neighborhood and a community. So, um, in working with a lot of buyers, that's very important to them. And I'm sure personally you can relate to that as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think like from from my standpoint, you know, I lived in Fidei for a long period of time mm-hmm. and I moved to Williamsburg because I'm a cliche human. And <laughs> when, when I moved to Williamsburg, there was, for better or worse, a sense of community that you mm-hmm. don't necessarily find in a lot of places. So for instance, if you lived in Gramercy or Murray Hill, you don't have a sense of this is my neighbor, this is who lives here, this is the person that runs this restaurant. Um, and I think just from a behavioral standpoint, you want that. Like we, we were just talking before we started about Brooklyn Heights. Mm-hmm. And I went there today and I was obsessed with it because um, obviously I'll never be able to afford it. But beyond that, <laughs> it's, it's a situation where everyone seems to know each other to mm-hmm. a certain extent. And I think we're missing that in the city. And I think areas like a story like you guys mentioned or even Bed-Stuy and mm-hmm. Bushwick mm-hmm. give you that availability of, of going there. Let's say you have a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You know you're going to know your neighbors and their kid, et cetera. And something you don't get in the city. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. So there hasn't been too much of a barrier in terms of telling these people or after educating them about it for them to, to jump over, right? I mean, right. you, you sold out a... I don't think people are very um, neighborhood loyal anymore. Yeah. They're just really looking for a lifestyle. Yeah, and we've seen that, yeah. Do you, do you see that that ties in with age at all? In other words, the younger buyers are more apt to, to open up or no? No, I, we've seen that across all, all trends, just given that people are looking for both a, a lifestyle as well as value. So some buyers that are less neighborhood loyal, 
that neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> just given that you know they can get they're just looking for where's the best value so if it's in Tribeca or if it's on the Upper East Side no matter they just want that value mm-hmm. so there's a lot of inventory in the market and they're looking everywhere to find it. I'm sure the ferry is helping out Astoria tremendously at this point whereas people used to complain like crazy about, absolutely yeah. and there are just so many different train lines there too but um, I think Astoria is special just because there's just so many restaurants and just lifestyle and the nightclubs and everything is just right there and okay. also so you guys have $900,000 both of you right you're buying a condo you can buy it in one place and you have to stay there for at least seven to ten years where do you buy out of Bushwick Bedside, every single story every single place that you mentioned where do you buy That's you yeah <laughs> I would I would probably do Long Island City. I love that neighborhood. Um, the community is not as great there because it's still developing. However, it's just really accessible to the city where I work and hang out a lot. And um, there are just so many beautiful parks there. The art, the culture, and the art world is amazing there. So that's just somewhere I would buy. And of course, you know the value is increasing tremendously. So right. it's a good investment. Canvas. I'd focus on the East Village, like far out east, where right now it's a little bit far from transportation, but you can still get a great value. Um, so that there as well as, you know, Chinatown, the southern part of Bowery, that whole kind of neighborhood is probably where I'd focus. Yeah. Okay. Um, I love both those areas. My wife used to live on 10th between C and D. Yeah, and exactly. C was a great block and I was too scared to go to D. Uh, <laughs> and now there's, there's a ton of condos that are popping up in D. So exactly. It's the, really emerging right now. So that'd be a great place to kind of get in at. Hipsters are more brave than I am. It's, it's God, <laughs> God bless them. Uh, so do me a favor and talk to me about tax benefits. Tell me everything you know. So some new developments are in the process of obtaining what's called a 421A tax abatement. Um, This is a term that a lot of buyers are going to see when they're looking at properties. So what 421A tax abatement is, is that it started in 1971 and it really encouraged developers to really utilize unwanted land and really to start building a community there so it would attract buyers by giving them this really big tax break. So um, this exemption usually lasts for about 10 years, but it can be as high as 15 to 25 years. But it really, um, I think it just depends on the building. And while changes in legislations have drastically reduced the number of opportunities, there are still some that offers this. Typically, the exemption gives unit owners a 100 exemption from any increase in their property taxes for the first two years. And then the taxes are increased by 20% of the normal tax rate every two years for the remaining amount of years of the abatement. So while this is typical, this varies from building to building. So it's really important that you really check this out before making your purchase. One other important um, point to re- to realize is that a lot of for a lot of buyers, they're not educated on that when a building just goes up, it's still an anticipated tax abatement. So this is really means that it hasn't been approved by the city yet. So and the really the tax breaks are not in effect as yet. So you really just have to like realize that before you make your purchase. So on a practical level, essentially you can buy a new construction. Let's say your apartment's one point three million dollars, and you're going to pay four dollars in taxes. Correct. Right? So that just really reduces your monthly payment by a lot. 
Um, it, it, does that, as I understand that it helps people finance, uh, sometimes because it brings down the amount that they actually have to put out on a monthly mm-hmm. basis. Right. So has that, have you guys seen that sort of help in terms of new development sales and everything else when it comes to tax yeah, benefits? Yeah, definitely for the first time borrower as well, you know, they're, you know, just starting out in their careers. And so having that lower monthly definitely helps them get approved for either a higher mortgage or the mortgage that they were hoping for. And in addition, new development there, you know, there's no board package or board approval. So that's been helping a lot of first-time buyers because the barrier to enter is a lot lower and it just is a little bit of a more seamless process. Can you guys, taking a left turn, can you guys talk about board approvals and why they're so annoying sometimes <laughs> and, and putting together packages? Yeah. Definitely. It's very intrusive um, for people and their you know financial profile and they're revealing a lot of information and it's very detailed. So for a lot of buyers who have other, you know, they have full-time jobs and it takes a lot, it's very time-consuming to gather all of the documentation needed. In addition, the requirements depending on the building can be very um, strict. So you have to get letter of recommendation, you have to get, you know, all your tax returns and all of this is just very, it's tedious. It's very tedious. And if you don't have the right expert kind of guiding you through this, you can get overwhelmed very easily. And also the way that it needs to be packaged is a specific way that board and management want to review it and see it. So you can't just assemble it and submit it any old way. It has to be in a specific way. So that's really where, you know, your, your real estate expert comes in and handles that for you. Right. And I've seen, at least we, we were talking about this, that condos are becoming a little bit more strict in terms of the board packages that you put together and what mm-hmm. they like to see, specifically when foreign buyers are coming in. Have you guys noticed sort of the same thing? Yeah, it was, you know, they're definitely cracking down. It's not as lenient as it was. So, you know, it's just, it's something that everyone has to go through unless you're buying a new development. So that's why new developments is becoming very appealing to, especially first time buyers and just people. And foreign buyers as well, because they don't have to put that together. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't actually have to go through the intrusive process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk to me about market. I mean, we, we discussed this a little bit, but um, I'm uh, always of the opinion that, and I'm, I'm just constantly like this. I'm neurotic when it comes to this, but I'm constantly like, this is going to crash at some point. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. But And you guys have said you're out of your mind, rightfully so. <laughs> the yeah. neighborhoods that you mentioned before, maybe other neighborhoods, why do you think they're sort of resistant to large market changes? Yeah, these are the emerging neighborhoods, and there's certain indications and indicators that show that this is a progressive neighborhood. And when you're buying, you know, a one-bedroom or a studio in these neighborhoods, at the end of the day, people need a place to live, and these this and inventory is always going to have a demand. So regardless of what's happening in the luxury market, people need a place to live. And that just, you know, is evident by today's market where the luxury market has slowed down a lot. But we were able to sell out a building in Long Island City in less than three months, just given the price point and the location. So at the end of the day, if you have, you know, a one bed in an emerging neighborhood, you can feel pretty confident that in five to seven years time when you go to resell, that there's still demand for that product and you're not going to, you know, lose your investment. Just switching gears, which of the services, I mean, maybe you can talk about the actual services, would cater to first-time home buyers to actually streamline the process that you guys can sort of think of? I mean, Candace and I, we pride ourselves in education and guiding our clients through every step of the way. Um, as you know, New York City real estate market is extremely complex and can be overwhelming for someone who's going through this process for the first time. Um, without the proper guidance guidance from an expert, you can find yourself in a situation where your life savings or a significant portion of it can be at risk. 
Um, for example, with the rising numbers of cash buyers in the marketplace, it's imperative that our buyers know the importance of what contingent versus non-contingent on financing means. And this really is where education comes into play. We explain this to our clients on the front end so that when they find the property of their dreams, you can we can really all move forward with confidence rather than scrambling trying to understand the implications of moving forward without a mortgage contingencies and the probability that they or their bank or the building is not approved. Yeah, mortgage contingency is something that if we we didn't have the opportunity to meet a buyer at the beginning of their search and they find you know we work with them later on and they found a property and you start talking about mortgage contingency and they're just they don't know what that is and it's so crucial because they could possibly risk losing you know a substantial amount of money if they don't get their their financing from the bank and they signed a non-contingent contract so it's really imperative that you know buyers are educated by their broker. Yeah, and also that's where head versus heart comes in. So it's our job to really educate them. They find they love this property and sometimes it's not really, you know, then we have they're bidding against a cash buyer. Right. So it's our job to really educate them and say, "Hey, you know, you really love this property, but you have to think like strategic here that you don't want to lose your money on it without, you know, because you're bidding against a cash buyer." So just to go into detail, essentially the difference between a contingent and non-contingent deal in a Contingent transactions, let's say it was based on the mortgage contingency, I say, okay, you're going to buy my place, but I'm going to give you your money back if for some reason the bank denies you a loan, right? Exactly. So they're going to apply for a loan. And in a non-contingent deal, you waive that contingency. So let's say I, as an attorney, am representing a buyer, right? That's in the transaction and the buyer wants to buy something. If they waive the contingency, essentially, if they don't get a loan and if they don't get their mortgage, their deposit is gone. And if I understand correctly, you waive your contingency during these times because you want to make your offer more attractive exactly. to a seller. Because yeah. it's a little bit more assured to the seller that, God forbid, anything happens, they know that they at least have the deposit. So um, sellers are looking for either a cash buyer or a non-contingent offer. And we're seeing that increase in how many people are actually able to offer that to sellers. So if you are looking to finance, it's important that you bring together the right team that can Get, tell you with confidence whether or not you know there's a good chance that you're going to get your your loan as well as this particular billing will actually get approved by the bank. Yeah. So just to segue into team, what do you guys look for? I mean, who do you? I don't want to say who do you use, but if you want to say who do you use in terms of mortgages <laughs> and everything else, but like how important is that? And again, it's uses really cliche term because mm-hmm. everyone says team, team, team. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's super important mm-hmm. um, because we're talking about a couple million bucks on some of these deals. Yeah. So. Talk to me about how you assemble your team. Talk to me about you know personalities. Talk to me about um, what they sort of do for a client and how important it is, even in a situation like this, for you before figuring anything else out for them to talk to, let's say, a mortgage broker or somebody else to say, hey, can you actually lend on this building or can you give this person clarity of whether or not they're going to get their money? Yeah, the mortgage contingency is a perfect example to show the cru- how crucial it is to have the right team in place. Um, and we as the real estate agents work very closely with the mortgage lender as well as the real estate attorney to ensure that you're not only going to have a successful transaction but successful close and beyond the close so and the more knowledgeable the team and the more experienced the team is the greater chance that you will have um, to maximize your return on your investment Um, and if you are looking to finance your mortgage lender gets involved from the onset just to kind of give you an indication of what price point you should be looking at just based on your financial profile and your qualifications and then from there we get involved and we just really have our fingers on the pulse of 
um, opportunities in the market, both on on market and off market. And this is just really crucial in today's market, just given what's happened with the residential inventory here in the city. We are seeing a lot of fragmentation. There's not one source of information for consumers to go to and just get all the inventory that could be possibly available to them. So we really bring value to our clients by giving them the full scope of inventory so that they don't miss out on a great opportunity. And this has happened for many of our clients, so we really try to, you know, make sure they're aware of all of that. And, you know, and after they find the perfect home, their attorney comes into play and just really does the due diligence to ensure that this is, you know, a financially sound building, this is not a problem building, and then this ultimately protects their investment from another angle. So really when you have all three parts working together with great synergy this is what we talk about with when we say that you know you really can maximize your return on investment which is really the goal when we work with buyers right and also with the contingent um, issue here at hand Daniel of course you're the attorney so you're gonna be having to speak to the mortgage specialist in this transaction right so it just makes sense for everyone to be on the same page and to have a team it's very important that we all work together for the betterment of the buyer do you guys um, I don't want to say how do you vet them but do you guys typically I typically typically work with people that I get along with for better or worse. Yeah. Um, so people even, like to work yeah. with people they like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So do you guys have the same thing in terms of lenders and, and other people that you, you Yeah, we have preferred with? um lenders, it turns mm-hmm. obviously you're one yeah. of ours. So it's really nice. <laughs> but, That's really uh, nice yeah. to say. But on the podcast. yeah, and yeah. at the end of the day we you know we can only make recommendations to our clients, but um these are people that we've worked with repeatedly and that we trust and I think that that's crucial. So do you what's the trend? Do you guys see that people that your clients typically turn to you for a recommendation to a mortgage broker, shall we say, or do they come in with their own oh I got a pre-approval from Quicken who by the way never closes in New York. No. <laughs> it depends on what stage we meet them at. Um generally if we're the first point of contact then they're looking to us for all the referral. I really we, we, yeah, but sometimes if they are thinking about buying and they go to the mortgage first, sometimes they have their person, but just depends on what stage we've come into the process. And we also always ask them to have a second opinion as well with just someone that we work with. And if they want to go with it, they do, but we always offer that option. How do you build trust? I think in just um, honesty and and for you know being completely transparent. Um, so when we're guiding someone through a process, sometimes they, we have had clients that have fallen in love with a property that we see certain challenges, and as their advisor, it's our job to just make these challenges aware to them, but not necessarily steering them, but just acknowledging that these are some challenges with this property and based on that they can make a more empowered decision and I think that we've built a lot of trust through that and also just protecting their interests and letting them know and and there's so many like you said there's so many unknowns that they don't know so I think just making them aware of those really they appreciate you and they see you as a value rather than someone just trying to close a deal Mm -hmm. for us that's not I think that when it becomes more about relationship and really being an advisor versus someone who can facilitate a transaction I think that's where you build trust and really how you know that relationship works also value is very important to our clients and for us to provide value to them that's really our mission and in doing so that they and also providing um, our affiliate program to them is just really past the transaction it's more of a relationship based and yeah. and it works from there yes. <laughs> so let me ask you this um, when when someone meets you for the first time um, well, actually, let me go back to something because I'm interested in this. What did you guys, when you went into the real estate field, 
how did it turn out different than what you actually expected? Like, were there things that you thought was going to be, this is the, the daily life of a real estate agent that you realized were totally different? Like, what were some of the things, the conception that you had going into this? Because you guys are incredibly accomplished um, and you've been doing this for, for a little while. But I, I always like to get a sense from the real estate agents and brokers that, that I work with, like, what's different in, from what you expected in the field? Well, for me, it was more that I kind of thought it was going to be a little bit more flexible just because I have a child. <laughs> That's true. However, no. however, it's completely different. It's more of we make our own schedule and it's more structured. And I, I find that I accomplish a lot more when I come, come into the office at 9 a.m. and I usually leave at 6, but in between we're running around. But at the end of the day, we have a very structured um, infrastructure that we have. And I think that was the biggest shock to me <laughs> personally. Yeah, and very similar to what she's saying is basically that I didn't, re- you know, you're always on call. And at the end of the day, it's a service business and it's important to us that we're there for our clients, you know, pretty much any day of the week, any hour of the day. And so that's something that it's really for, I realize that real estate's a lifestyle and it's not a job. You don't get to clock out and go home and unplug your phone. You're really always connected. And so that's not something, I mean, I enjoy that. So it, that's why it's such a great fit, but that wasn't something that I initially realized going into it. Are your weekends shot, just completely shot? Like, are you, are you constantly pretty running much Because, you know, weekends people aren't, you know, at work. So that's when they're available to look at property. And also we host open houses, but you know, when you really, love it you don't see it as like such a like oh I don't have available time to do this and that and it's very rewarding for us and this is really what we love to do so do you guys in final question do you guys um, have goals that you lay out for yourself and if so what are they because I always like to get in the head of people in terms of you know what they look to in the future and how they want to get there yeah I think goals are crucial for any business to make sure that you're going in the right path and you're sticking to you know your basis of your foundation and so for us um, you know we founded wire which is women in residential real estate and that's a platform that seeks to empower and educate its community and it's um, on how to use real estate as a wealth building tool and so the main goal for us is just to continue to grow that platform we um, and so we've already begun that and it's just growing rapidly so that's one of our main goals and that also just complements what we do on the real estate brokerage side which you know we just want to continue to you know make a an impact in the market exactly i agree with everything she just said (laughs) (laughs) guys uh thank you so much for joining me today where do people find you if they want to find you www.bmrteam.com. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for joining me, ladies. Thank you so much. Right.